Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. And on today's show, I've got John Thambridge. John is a GB development bobsleigh pilot, an all-round athlete, and able to adapt to most sports quickly. He played rugby and football at youth level, has had a 13-year career as an aircraft avionics technician, serving on rotary and fixed wing aircraft around the world. He's had free tours of Afghanistan in support of the Chinook fleet operations and was introduced to bobsleigh through the military in 2013. He competed at inter-service level for the past four years, was loaned out to the New Zealand bobsleigh team as a brakeman in the 2019-2020 season and debuted as a pilot for GB in the 2020-2021 season. He's looking to establish himself as one of the upcoming GB development pilots and work towards the 2026 Olympic Games. So welcome on to the show, John. Cheers. Thank you, James. It's, it's great to be here. Um, you've got some pedigree, so it's good to get my message out there and uh, appear on such a great show. So. Wow. Well, as I said to you before we started recording, I said I was going to make a mistake and I didn't. So uh, obviously it's, it's um, there's some, there's, I'll be honest with people because I was going to edit the where I did do a few mistakes, but that obviously is part and parcel of, of a podcast. And I think it very exemplifies what sport is. We, we refine, we, we tweak and ultimately we improve. Uh, I would like to say in the past, I would use the word fix. Uh, to be able to ultimately have a better performance. So that being said, then, John, with you being an all-round sportsman and doing football and rugby at a younger age, were there any other sports on the on the periphery as well? Um, not. I did a little bit of a like track. Uh, you know, your, your club sort of uh, school level uh, attending the sports days, that sort of thing. And I'd usually be one of the, the quicker guys out of the group. I, when I was younger, I was only a, uh, I was probably a bit of a, a lot smaller than I am now. <laughs> uh, I probably didn't have a growth spurt until I was about 16, 17. So I was somewhere around the five foot, five foot area for quite some time. So, um, yeah, sport was a big thing uh, for me to be involved with when I was younger. It was an outreach, uh, but definitely um, getting out there uh, and enjoying life. You know, uh, when you're young playing football, your tea breaks and stuff like that uh, at school. I'll be out kicking the football around, playing with the mates, uh, trying to push the bigger guys out of the way. And I think that's sort of the mentality, trying to do the best I can with, with, with what you've got, you know. So. You were talking about being the smaller person. Tell the people that in terms, because I had a conversation with you like, uh, a couple of weeks ago before we, we, we come on to record today. Talk about the, the the massive weight gain you've had to 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 implement to be successful in bobsleigh because I think people will be aghast by the figures yeah. that you're talking about. Uh, so bobsleigh itself is based on um, having power. Uh, weight plays a big factor uh, when you've got a, a sled that weighs 390 kilos uh, and the minimum sled weight is 170. You need two big burly guys, roughly 110. So when I first got introduced and the tryouts, uh, which came through the RAF and the military level, uh, I first went down at 70, 70 kilos, 72 kilos at first. Uh, and it took me probably a good six, seven years to build that up to the 80, 84, 85 mark. 
uh, and over the last three, four years, it's really took on to, I'm now up to 95, 97 uh, on, a, on a good and bad day. So um, it, with that, that power, uh, the weight has come power, training, discipline, all those sort of things you're looking to, to improve uh, to be that sport, powerful, speed-based athlete. So, do you do you think you would have been in, as just as just as successful in rugby if you'd have put on that box? Because obviously that's pretty much a winger nowadays. Yeah, yeah. The the weight size is a, a big thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Definitely. I think it's just certain sports and military took me away from from sporting and the career that I've gained from that is different. Uh, and it's also giving it certain opportunities. Uh, but I think you need that weight and power to be dominant in a sport. Uh, when I did play football and rugby, I was, I was maybe a bit of a whippet, uh, but I'd still put in those big tackles sometimes and challenge challenge those guys to, to try and make my mark because people didn't suspect it at times. You know, you've got that little advantage sometimes, but with the weight, you can always, you can always push through. So. And obviously, I mentioned earlier on an episode that you 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 were obviously attached to a Chinook regiment, and people that are obviously not knowledgeable of, of helicopters and uh, we've been American aircraft to start off with. Is is that kind of balance between the the service personnel quite normal now, more so nowadays, and in terms of having RF look after what is army, which is army. Equipment. Well, the uh, the Chinook is actually an RF uh, asset, so oh, okay. it's controlled by the RF. Uh, the Army, it, you find a sort of a perception that the Army, anytime you see a helicopter or something like that, anything green, it's uh, owned by the Army and that sort of control. Uh, but it's actually an RF helicopter that's managed and engineered uh, by us as, as uh, avionics technicians and aircraft maintenance. So, um, yeah, there, there is a there is a balance where we do work closely with other services, you know, the Army and Navy, to keep that, that UK force going. So. I learned something different. I learned something new there, so I appreciate that, John. No, that's all right. To to up my, update my uh, my my but I guess it's. Do you think it's because of the the historical bias of it coming out of the Army in the first place, and that shows yeah. my history. Maybe a little bit of history buff there a little bit. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Uh, you always, yeah, yeah. For for me, like whenever I've been out on, say, uh, around civilians and uh, in the public eye and stuff like that, you'll see anything, any other service. If you're not army, you'll get referred to as army. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a general. Oh, they brought the army out. Uh, like with the COVID situation at the moment, we had uh, uh, people working around in the areas providing and. Uh, COVID tests and that sort of stuff. The, the Just, do you think, John, and, and because and a lot of people won't know this about my my family upbringing because my mother was a native civilian and my father was in the military himself, do you think that misconception with COVID testing comes about with them being obviously being in the, the camos of it being predominantly green, so they make yeah, that assumption? Yeah, yeah, that's true. We all wear that uniform. Uh, so what? I've got uh, a blue uniform that I work day to day. I have a green uniform that I work uh, when we're doing my exercises and deployments. Uh, and I actually spend most of my time in overalls. So uh, I'll travel to work and then get changed into overalls. I'll be fixing the plane, uh, planes and stuff. And then, um, yeah, the perception that Army is, is, is ever is probably to do with the uniform. And 
do you think a little bit, and this will show our age a little bit, you know, G.I. Joe, do you think the RF Ninja may be being some blue camouflage? I know it won't work. <laughs> I know it won't, in, in certain circumstances, it wouldn't work. Because no, like, no, the whole premise. the uh, American Air Force then, so uh, it's probably best to avoid that. <laughs> well, I, well, for me, it's, that's, it's not so bad because uh, as we were having that conversation a few weeks ago. My grandfather's yeah. RAF. And my father is US Air Force. So what I was, oops. What I did with one of my, with my, don't bark. I got to edit it out. <laughs> but what I did with, is obviously make a logo out of making homage to both, well, my father and obviously I'm a, I'm a mother's, I'm a mother's son, my grandfather, and I'm kind of have a nod to, well, it's both both of them are red, white, and blue. <laughs> so that'd be an interesting. I, I thought it would never. <laughs> no barking. No. There you go. Going to stop now. But obviously, where am I going to go with that conversation? That's one of those. So our logo uh, that I've made uh, as a, a homage to all three services. So within the bottom right corner, uh, you've got a, an infantry soldier, an aircraft and a, a Navy ship. Because what I was trying to achieve is put a military team together uh, and build on the resources that we've got to, to, to show what we can showcase as, uh, in the sport and how important we are to progress, you know, uh, with the history that's been with uh, military athletes. Reaching the Olympic Games, such as uh, Sean Olsen and Magano, bronze medalist. You've had um, John Jackson, uh, Sochi 2012, four man bronze medalist. Uh, and uh, Sue Benson was an RF engineer doing the same job that I do, uh, and a, a Scottish uh, track and field. And he um, he also got a bronze at, at Sochi. So we've got long standing uh, ties with uh, Lamin Dune, who's one of the well established two and four man. Uh, GB senior squad who's going for his third Olympics now so um, it shows that we've got athletes coming through and the importance of the military within GB bobsay as a sport uh, and all, all other sports we're almost like a um, the pathway to, to, to a degree without that funding so. and what is 2026 I know we're, we're five years off it but what because as me coming from a summer uh, discipline Obviously, it kind of gets overshadowed, doesn't it? Yeah, but the yeah. winter guys kind of forgot the Milan Cortina, it should be for 2026. So that'll be uh, over in Italy. Uh, Cortina's the track has been disused for a little while now, so it looks like they're going to restore that and get that back up to scratch. Uh, it's held, I think it's held the games previously or uh, at some point. So um, yeah, we were aiming to try and work towards 2022 in in uh, Beijing. Looking at the timeline and our, our experience, you know, we were ambitious, um, but we're on the we're in the on the right path to heading towards that extra time to establish yourself and, and really get those results that you need. So the winter games haven't been pushed back, then, like the summer games, then. Not at the moment. Um, I don't know the the those uh, issues out there at the moment. Where if they push anything back, it's going to cause problems with, um, you know, it's costing money at the moment for Tokyo games. To, to a substantial amount, like a couple hundred 
Did he or something? I saw uh, quite a large chain. We have to wait and see what happens. Uh, a pushback from, from me could, could give us an opportunity. Uh, mm. But we'll take what we adjust, we adapt and overcome what, what comes at us. So. Well, I think, I think that's why athletes themselves are in a very good position when it comes to that from a um, logistical mindset or just the adaptability to being like flexible. It's like, well, okay, I've had a a little bit of a hiccup or it's not worked out my way. Okay. I'm not going to play the victim. I'm just going to adjust and, and, and fine tune to for, for it, obviously. So it works out. So pretty much my life's like that. It's like people <laughs> are like gobsmacked. It's like, James, you've had so much upheaval and obviously I'll use the words that people will say is adversity for some of it's not it's like it's it's i've never even thought twice it's like well it was a problem at you the time and that was yeah. it let's yeah. find the solution um and i think that probably stems from my upbringing of and i was trying to think of what actually self-discipline looks like to me because i gave people like examples of it yeah what it looks like on paper it's like well for me uh, and for you and and pretty much every athlete that i that had the opportunity to interview for the show self-discipline is pretty much from a marketing perspective is on oh, the word eludes me now when you create uh less demand i can't think what it's called um not sure i'll go with that people know what i'm talking about but obviously if there's not if if there's only one item for you and i to to purchase one of us is going to miss out and i think sport does that amazingly because no athlete would look at that as well pretty much day in day out they create that environment of if you if you don't perform, there's no guarantee you'll be here tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sport is very much so based on those results. You know, um, the only thing that will tell is results. You you can always uh, facts and figures are the best way to to determine statistically what they say who's the better better athlete because it's it's one on track, it's one on the ice, uh, it's one on the scoreboard. You know, if you can't perform on that day, or you're only as good as your last result. So. Mm-hmm. well obviously it goes a bit deeper than that but we won't yeah. you and i we, you and i won't we won't go into that but <laughs> pe- people people that are athletes and know that is like should be like series of if they can't this they can't di- differentiate between two athletes they'll go to the next tier and, and so on and to, to 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 find that whatever marginal gain that other what whoever has the the the, the ascendancy over the other person that's why they're going to win out. Uh, obviously, life doesn't work like that. But yeah. I, 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 I think, and I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think sometimes I think the the uh, the civilian world needs to. I'll, I'll use it loosely like that because I think it works well with what we're talking about. I think it needs to do that because this sense of entitlement it doesn't serve anybody because if you just whoever moans the loudest wins what does that point or does that kind of prove it's like well if i'm louder than you i'm gonna win 
yeah. doesn't mean your point is not valid, but so I don't go off on, a, on too much of a ranty ta- tangent. I think it's something that they need to learn. And it's obviously it's deep rooted, you know, respect, discipline, uh, pretty much. What, what is the RAF mat- motto? Uh, it's uh, per order ad astra. Uh, and you've got one that was recruiting when I went through uh, all those 12, 13 years ago, was rise above the rest. So it's all about inspiring to become better. Uh, which is, I think is, is that uh, a little not is that a little bit of uh, I won't make you say it, but you know a little bit of political thing. Obviously, we're better than the other services. No, I, uh, each service does their own, own job uh, and has got their own advantage. So, we're main main job is to support air power, which is supplying aircraft for those pilots to. Well, I think I, I think the military as a whole, John. I think they do a great job in terms of marketing yeah, yeah. because they've all adapted to social media. I think the army is probably the best as they've really knocked it as well. You could go out on the lash until they just drink more, which obviously every service uh, personnel probably does it. But in terms of you know you're going to get trolling on social media, but if you come into the military. We're going to support you. Obviously, before that, on any service member, you've got to get through basic training. So they're going yeah, to sure. break you down, build you back up to everybody thinks the same way. Obviously, you, you said the RF is, wants you to think a little bit more. Yeah, so uh, we all do our basic training. Uh, it's not to the same level as, say, the Marine Commandos uh, or the uh, Parachute Regiment or something like that. We do a nine, ten-week basic course that gives you... Uh, information about uh, airspace and all that sort of uh, core values that we work on uh, respect uh, integrity service before service before self and excellence that's their sort of uh, discipline sort of guidelines uh, and what we try to adhere to like in your everyday like sort of life to to work towards uh, you do like a green phrase where you spend a few days out in in the field live firing and so we're still rifle trained still get the hands a little dirty, uh, and then you've got a drill phase towards the end where you have a really nice time where family come down, uh, get to watch you pass out, uh, which is inspiring and uh, a really strong moment for myself because it was the first time I ever saw like my dad sort of cry uh, at really what 46 years old he was. So uh, yeah, a really really strong moment. Uh, you build through that, and uh, yeah, it, it's definitely worth worth the opportunity. Well, I think I think it's, and I said it to you when we were talking last. I think people need to take things into 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 some sort of the equation when they think about what they're going to do after school. Uh, I'm not saying go into the military. Um, no, that would be that would be very manipulative to me <laughs> to say something that like that and go. Uh, but in terms of its if your options are limited, I think from an educational standpoint, that it, what it gives back to you is obviously it's another card for you to play in life as well. Yeah, why, why not utilize the Americans? Definitely do it. Uh, if they can get a degree while they're serving, they'll do it. I think pretty much. I'm gonna say I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Like 50% of the kids I went to school with are acting service members. But 
that is an environment that they've always known for them it's like well i wouldn't think of doing anything else because they're pe- either the mother or the father or the grandparents yeah, they're you like long them. lines of things like everything with when i think when you've got that synergy where it's coming down through the generations you think well i can't do anything else uh yeah. for me obviously i had no, no no other choice because of the disability and I thought it's probably only natural that I obviously got into elite sport and it's my way to keep that that legacy going of yeah, sure. uh, family being in, in, well, for king king or queen. And ultimately, I have a choice a little bit more uh, when it comes to sport. But obviously, this episode is not about me, it's about you. How How... How was it to, and I'll use an American term now, be farmed out to an, a, a, another national team? Um, so for me, I saw it as a, an opportunity uh, to, to gain that experience. Uh, you've always got to look at things as a, as a positive um, and make the most of what's, what's available to you. So I was offered it through uh, one of the John Baines, who's a GB Olympian at Sochi, uh, RF. Um, uh, communication specialist and he uh, got approached by the New Zealand guy. Uh, I was a, one of the top ranking brakemen in the Air Force level. Uh, so that's pretty much what you consider as national. Um, so then we uh, spoke about it. He, he gave me the opportunity and I helped to support the team uh, in North America to compete and over in Europe. Um, we got an eighth overall, I think, in North America. So I was a brakeman uh, with pilot Andy Williams. Uh, He's, his experience with the sport itself, engineering-wise, and the sled, I did a lot to help him with that, so he gained that experience. Um, yeah, it, it was definitely getting to know people on the circuit and figure out what everything's about is definitely an advantage when you're, you're stepping into a sport at that level. Was it not weird, obviously, representing a different national team because it's pretty much commonplace in rugby you know the yeah, the yeah. residency rule and they obviously rock up for the, the different yeah, nationality it was, it was a little different, uh, but with uh, the way how Bob say works and the community is so small and not always having the athletes available for all the interest or support from the governing body uh, we we saw it where Joel Fearon actually uh, went over to uh, the Swiss and, and slid for them for, for a season uh, and you, you see it occasionally between the German and Austrian the European teams, when they switch over, they live close or nearby. And they're not quite making that, that cut yet. Um, I did uh, take the opportunity. I was offered the same similar role to uh, start my pilot debut for GB earlier, but I'd already set up a commitment to, to New Zealand. So for me, my word is a lot. I wouldn't turn back on something. You've got to respect what you've, uh, you've chosen. And um I'm proud that I did do it uh, and gave the opportunity for New Zealand now to, to grow in the future, hopefully. So. I think that value that you've got, John, is I think it's it's very much built into the core of the, every military service. And I think it's a dying art in, in civilian life because, you know, what you've said yeah. there, I pretty much live and breathe it. If, it's, if I've said something, I'm going to honour it and I don't need to write it in stone. Uh, and I think, obviously, of the generations of past... 
uh, I think some people, I'm not going to generalize and say everybody, but a small proportion of the population has obviously forgotten about that because I'm only going back two generations and that's normal of whatever you say is you don't yeah, need to yeah. spit in your hand and shake on it. It's I'm going to honor what I say and I'm going to follow through for it. But I think what you, you say there is, is to be is exemplar because pretty much you, you stuck by your word, you followed through. And obviously when you t- found time to step aside for the betterment of, of, of their national program, you did so. You, 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 you obviously said to me that it didn't have to be the case, but you felt it right to not be in front of somebody based on um, just wearing a t-shirt for the sake of it or being yeah. parachuted in uh, just for a performance base. You didn't want to be one of those individuals that's just going there for the tracksuit. No, no. Uh, for me, I want to compete and I want to do well. Uh, and the, I know uh, I feel a lot better, which I have done this season, competing for, for Great Britain and proving myself among some of the best in the world uh, by competing internationally in the European Cup. Uh, and the, the development guys as well, you know, uh, we're looking to push up and, and work towards those senior spots in the future. Uh, I can't do that for, for New Zealand. Um, and the overall goal for, for any athlete is, is, for me personally, to make it to the Games. But I want to get to that point and compete uh, at the window between now and and um, over in uh, Milan and Cortina 2026 is, is an achievable timescale to to make a real decent mark and, and get us up to that standard. So, so if we, we, we move, obviously, to this season, how challenging has it been? Uh, to start as a debut season, uh, put a team together, manage, raise funding, sponsorship, all during a global pandemic. Uh, it has been a, a bit of a, I wouldn't say a nightmare, but uh, uh, it has challenged me immensely you know if, if it wasn't for maybe the experience that I've had as a as a JNCO or a corporal in the uh, in the military I don't think I'd be able to to cope well not cope but uh, you know I was better prepared than than some other people may have been so um, yeah it was really difficult uh, we went let's find sponsorship uh, with the national government body not being funded at the moment uh, after results based from uh, last Olympics in Pyeongchang um, we were almost uh, worked alone to try and find that money we were looking for £15,000 in sponsorship and we managed to raise nine um, any shortfall was covered by us as, as individuals so we had to self uh, contribute to our accommodation uh, to our food uh, and a little bit to myself I actually had to find a way to purchase a van to get us out one season we covered well over eight and a half thousand miles, I think, wow. uh, over a 10-week period. So we ended up doing uh, five training weeks and four race weeks uh, out of the five we originally wanted. Um, and yeah, it was really tasky. Absolutely new challenge for me. Approaching businesses, getting into sponsorship is, is a task in itself. And uh, I've learned immensely how to, to approach people better, communication, and uh, deal with people is probably the hardest, hardest thing. You know? uh, it, it's when you're in a team environment, you can't always keep everyone happy because you've got to look at the bigger picture, which is 
to try and push that result, that, uh, that training. And in a sport where you've only got seconds to get better, uh, each run costing 60, 70 euros each, uh, you'll get maybe 15 in a week, 16 in a week. So you need to make those seconds that you do have really count. So. This is this is never a question I thought I'd bring up, but in terms of like the budgeting, in terms of that, like, like you're talking about 60, 70 euro a run. Yeah. Does do you think that brings it more to the fore about you need to grasp every millisecond of this because this is costing money at the end of the day? Yeah, yeah, it is important. Uh, it's an expensive sport overall, so. Um, you, your typical run down a track is 50, 50 seconds, so 50 to, to 55 seconds, say. Um, and you can only make that mistake. You're going to make mistakes, and yet the best part is the ones that can learn from it and adapt and open. And you can get yourself back on track, so it's part of the line. So, yeah, uh, cost is a big thing. If we didn't have the financial support, uh, it wouldn't be possible. I was fortunate enough to. Be able to use military equipment like a RAF RF sled that's well over a decade old now that can still hold its own to to a point. Um, without that, I'd be completely disadvantaged. I'd be needing 20, 30 grand towards the sled or 8,000 to 10,000 for higher uh, for the season. Runners uh, cost between five and 15 grand. You know, um, as an overall travel, everything all adds up. So it is a business almost. You almost set up a business to try and push your sport through, so uh, and achieve. You'd never, you'd never think looking at it that it's it's um, so expensive. But I think where I think it's almost marginalising itself in a way, and, and when we talk of you know uh, equity, inclusion, and diversity. It's one of them sports is massively putting themselves out of the reaches of yeah, say inner city kids just by the 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 cost that you're talking about. Um, and I think what you described to me when we were talking the other week of the the rotary brake, uh, not rotary brakes, the 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 wipers on the helicopter versus oh, what they are in the real world. Uh, just because it's a military contract, we can put an extra couple of zeros on it. I'm thinking, well, that's barbaric. Yeah, so you find that with uh, niche sports or something that's uh, there's a reasonable following for bobsleigh, but the amount of technology that goes into it, similar to like UF1, I consider it the Formula 1 of ice sports really. You're using carbon fibre, latest materials uh, to get this sled as light as possible, close to aerodynamic, uh, to give you those extra marginal gains, which are hundreds of a second, you know. and when you've only got three or four manufacturers in the in the world, you, you, you they have an opportunity to maybe monopolise the, yeah. the the costing. So, do you do you think when it comes to sponsorship, and I might I might cut this bit out. Do you think the the companies themselves haven't seen the profitability in the run as it's still airtime? Yeah, that you're uh, giving them. Once you get to World Cup level, uh, you know uh, that's the the point where you're over YouTube every 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 single week, every every race. Uh, you'll be you'll be there. You'll have your logo on the side of the sled, uh, your band nearby, uh, and your team kit. So you stand in the 
the um, the winner's box, waiting for the next sled to come down, which makes it exciting. So you're waiting for them to either beat you or go slower. So you you top, you go your orders pulled out of the hat, your first one down, and then it's ranked reverse order. So you'll start 20th, 19th, 18th. So you're always waiting for someone else to beat you. So it's up for them to mess up um, to the to a point where you pick up a few spots. Uh, that adds the excitement to the to the team side of it. Uh, but there are sponsors in the background, and it's just pushing out the actual um, size of the sport. You know, it's one of the most watched ones that are on during the Olympics. You know, uh, it's what everyone's trying to look for that crash. I guess sometimes, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, there's more to Bob say that sponsorship isn't aware of. I mean, most people speak about cool runners as well. It's probably the first in for anything to do with Bob say. So uh, we're trying to raise that profile ourselves so locally. Um, I know the senior teams have had interviews with ITV, BBC, and that sort of stuff to push it to a higher level. So, do you do you think because we've historically overall and I'm talking about winter sports as a whole, not being as successful as the summer games. Do you think some of that has a sway on some of the bias towards, well, there's, there's no point pumping money into that because it's not going to le- uh, yield uh, any uh, profitability for us? I think it's more to do with accessibility. Okay. Uh, when you're talking track and field, uh, individuals can go to a local track and do those sprint through those ones. Uh, there has been an amazing success through the, the skeleton program uh, for, for well over 10, 10 11 years now, uh, uh, where they've won medals throughout the last three Olympic Games. So uh, there is there is probability, there is sponsorship, there is uh, results there. Uh, the hardest thing is accessibility where we have to travel abroad. Uh, the tracks are only built uh, artificially, apart from one in uh, Switzerland, San Moritz, uh, and you find them mostly in Europe, North America, and a few in Asia. We haven't got the climate to and the costing to facilitate a full-size track. Which you find that the locals where they do train, Germany, uh, Koenigsegg area, they'll be on that track from the age of five years old. So where we're we playing football, sports, that sort of thing, they'll send them to the track to do luge. And that as kids as part of the school routine so it all comes down to what the environment you're in as well so do you think we need to shake it up than sport obviously i'm now retired so it's a little bit easier for me to kind of make kind of these kind of outlandish comments but do you think we need to have a a, a shake-up of the system to be able to signpost people so be it you know the person is I'm not gonna say mediocre say the person isn't doing very well in track and field as a sprinter why not try this and then obviously you've got and there is a talent id programs that go about and i i know that's where a few of the older guys not older uh more established guys uh, such as ben simons uh ryan letts and uh they came through through a talent ID system. So there was a, a poster up at the universities, and I think they're looking to get back into that sort of program that does work to get these athletes uh, competing at community uh, at, at country county level, but still put in 
you know, sub 11, uh, 100 meters, 10 and a half. Red Cackets is similar one. So the, un- the untapped, untapped. Yes, yeah, that sort of thing. And we we have got some prestigious athletes coming through that senior level now. We've got um, Joel Fearin, who's been uh, around since Sochi, well before Sochi, and James Dasalulu. Uh, both of them are sub 10, the second and third fastest uh, ever 100 meter sprinter uh, from Great Britain. So there is prestige in, in the team and it does attract those sports. Uh, slightly further along their careers, um, but you, yeah, there, there is opportunities there. It's just getting those right athletes in, and the biggest thing is it's funding. It's difficult to do yeah. without that funding there. So, well, obviously, you, you're not only competing with the, with the financial uh, disadvantage that you talked about, but if somebody's starting at five years old and you're starting eight years ago. Yeah. Massive disadvantage. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that's one of the biggest things is uh, you're looking at the kids growing up, going through the sport, uh, starting in luge, maybe moving to skeleton, and then they'll get in a sled at, at 15, 16 years old. They've actually built in a, a Youth Olympic Games now uh, that happened in 2020 in Louisiana uh, and has happened for the last uh, four, four races, I think. Um, so it is a pathway for sport. Uh, started to bring that youth youth quality free, uh, but it isn't accessible to the same levels as most of the summer events would be. So. What do you think we need to change as a country then, to to give a person a how am I going to word this? I'll call it an opportunity because ultimately the Olympics is the Olympics. Once you have that um, associated to your name, it pretty much opens doors. So do you think, what do you think it's going to take for us as an island to get to the, and I'm going to use social media to a certain extent, to be like Jamaica because of cool running? What do you think is going to, obviously, not from a laughing joke, joke, so goes back to from a, from a before. What can we learn from um, an island that's got probably, the sun, yeah. which we don't have? <laughs> you're probably looking at uh, Olympic medals, right? Is the only way you can raise that profile. Um, it was unfortunate for the guys from Sochi, uh, John Jackson, uh, Stu Benson, Bruce Tarsman, and Joel Pierre, that they didn't receive their medal until. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago now, a year and a half, two years ago, uh, due to uh, the Russians being banned for doping. So that t- took away a couple of spots and gave them the op- took away that opportunity of those doors, those opportunities for, for funding or support uh, that do open those doors, you know. So um, medals is the way forward for, for any sport to raise that profile. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever going to eclipse uh, cool runnings or or Jamaica for, for that. Um, I, I just don't think it's it's possible unless you're German and you're Hansi Lochner or Francesco Friedrich, who's been an absolute tyrant for the last I think six to eight years, where he's won pretty much nearly every race, World Cup race, every World Championship in both two and four man. Uh, he's been a very dominant force, so, and uh, I know he's treated like a celebrity uh, in the the German sort of area. So. I appreciate you being, being honest with that, John. 
how hot well, is not I can't answer that's the question because that's you don't know. What what have you what have kind of contingent contingency plan have you put in for the next five years? Should I put it as a question instead? Okay. Uh, so for me it's uh, trying to raise uh, sponsorship my profile uh, definitely is uh, so the world is such driven by social media now. Uh, and having that presence opens those doors to, to market in uh, and those opportunities for funding and sponsorship. Uh, Work-wise, for me, it's trying to secure uh, elite athlete, which will give me the full-time status uh, supported by the military to, to train uh, uh, and focus fully on, on the sport. So um, I've got some pathway and some results to get over the next year or, year or so to, to establish that. And that's my first sort of key goal, uh, as well as uh, this upcoming season with starting the plan for. So uh, we'd like to eventually step into a four-man crew. We've only run two-man at the moment, uh, and that's the natural progression. Uh, become a better pilot, uh, be able to manage better, uh, and really compete, be able to compete at a World Cup level would be the next step. Um, get within, you push start, bring those down, and you're likely to get better results. And it, after your World Cup, you're looking at a World Championship, uh, which are running each year. Uh, and we need to start competing in those as we progress towards the uh, Olympic year. Um, but being able to even make your games is, is an achievement in itself. Uh, to compete at games is a completely different different level. So that, that's what our overall goal is. And for me, yeah, getting the right people around you, Working with the right people, be it programming, be it nutrition, uh, I'm just starting to build that sort of facility around me to, to enable probably the best I could be in this. I appreciate sharing some of that insight into to that journey because I I know I hate that question. If I was honest, <laughs> you know, what, where, where do you see yourself in in five years? So I appreciate. Uh, I've worded it slightly differently and, and and coined it something else, but that's what it is under the yeah. service. So how competitive is it? Because obviously I had one of your contemporaries in development set up as well. How competitive is it at the development level? Because there's multiple pilots and, and break. Yeah, it's, um, it's very competitive. You know, we're, we're all operating at a similar level with uh, uh, different uh, around a similar amount of experience, really, like both me and Adam, uh, Adam Baird um, came through the military side of it, representing the services, uh, whereas uh, Axel, one of the other uh, pilots, came from the GB Brakeman, so we uh, raced at World Cup and, uh, over the North, North America European Cup level, and uh, he stepped into the pilot seat a couple of years ago, so uh, we've all got the same opportunity uh, with, with the terms of uh, doing the best we can. Uh, it becomes difficult when you're working with different levels of equipment uh, because equipment plays such a big part in the sport. So, um, yeah, it's very competitive. And while three doesn't go into one, that's, that's the difference. No, 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 no. Whereas I, obviously, I've been inside that environment. I think because, I think social media has obviously helped that because you can you can see uh the behind the scenes that the obviously the the 
I use the iceberg analogy, you know, what's under the, under the surface is obviously bigger than what's on the top. But obviously, historically, most people have only seen the finished article, so they don't see uh, all the com- competitive things that have obviously got that person to the start line. So you mentioned Jamaica. They're not a, probably the one of the best sprint nations for no good reason, as it's pretty no. difficult to get into the national team period. So, but I think where they are probably head and shoulders above the rest is that opportunity that you talked about. They're like the Germans. Yeah, yeah. Um, pretty yeah, much sure. competing in front of big crowds as teenagers. So Bolt probably lo- he, he loved that spectacle because it's, oh, well, I'm going to be the showman and, and I'm going to put other yeah, people yeah. out of their comfort zone because I'm going to play up to the to the, to the hype <laughs> and, and have a laugh and a joke about it. Uh, and obviously you probably could say people that people that didn't make their Olympic team probably would be good enough to make some of the other national teams. Uh, and there's probably no debate for that. But in terms of the point I'm trying to make is obviously I think in Britain we do things slightly, I'm going to say differently. I'm not going to say it's, it's not bad. It's not a bad. It's not a bad differently, but I think our approach is maybe outdated a little bit. You know, the step of a lip, and um, we'll kind of get on with it, and we'll be humble about what we what we've accomplished. I think it doesn't work, especially not in this day and age of uh, being front and center in, in the spotlight of social media. Whereas I think, you know, the likes of the Americans. Um, obviously Bolt's a fiend on himself, but, you know, the the, the showman people that are quite ex, external in their character, see, they 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 love the, the media spotlight, whereas I think for the majority of Brits, we play down our accomplishments. Do you think that's fair? And then when we try and come into the, the spotlight, we feel awkward? Um. Yeah, yeah, there's a degree where you, you've got that trying to not be, you're respectful, but you, you've always, you're doing a job, aren't you? So for me personally, working in the military, it's always been, I'm doing a job, I've got a task to do, I'll get this done. I, I take that same approach with what I'm trying to do as an athlete. Um, it's good to get recognition when, when you can, uh, for the efforts that you have done. Um, but we do probably shy away from it more than others. Uh, as you spoke about other nations and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. So what do you what do you think needs oh, obviously the, the current crop of, of kit people have a problem with that because obviously they grew up um kids grew up with Facebook, Instagram, things like that. They're obviously they're well well on, on course to capitalize on that. Obviously, problems with that as well that can be distorted but if we just focus on the the the, the positive of social media we've obviously had to learn some of these nuances and and things like that because i laugh and joke about my space but if i was probably asking somebody that's <laughs> in maybe 
you know, 20 years younger, they probably that said, what's that? What's that? <laughs> yeah, things like that. I've not heard that one in a long time, but <laughs> obviously these social medias before their time weren't, well, weren't manipulative enough in terms of they didn't grab your attention for long periods of time. Um, like obviously, well, the aforementioned with the same company now, but in terms of, gripping people to stay on a platform for minutes hours at a time we've obviously got to be able to 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 showcase that so probably why i think bob stays is, is as popular as it is like like you said people are waiting for that crash so they're waiting for that yeah, little yeah. highlight reel as what i can play oh have you seen this over and over again Obviously, the likelihood of that happening is, I would say, small. You probably say bigger than I think. Yeah, bigger than you think. So, uh, you're working in such fine movements when you're, you're steering a sled. So, uh, you're traveling at 70, 80 miles an hour and you're trying to move your sled within a millisecond or whatever, hold that steer ever so slightly longer to give you a, a slightly different line. Um, so, and if you don't get it right or you, you push it too far the way, there's always a risk of, of a crash. Every run, there's a chance that you may crash, you know. And um, it's, it's building that confidence to get yourself out of the, out of the hole. So how do you make that, how do you sell, how do you sell that to make that sexy? Um, it, it's, the speed is probably the big thing, you know. You, you're talking the fastest, uh, one of the fastest four-man sleds to ever go down was at Whistler in Canada by uh, Lamin Dean, GB pilot, I think. It was around 162 kilometers an hour. So uh, around, I think it was around that sort of speed. So that that aspect of it is outrageous. You, you're not propelled by anything but human power and gravity. Uh, the other side of it probably is the, the danger of it. Uh, people do crash. People have got ice burns. Uh, one of the guys, Nick Gleason, actually had to have a skin graft uh, where he's wow. wear a, a protective vest uh, during sliding. And it, it was almost like a third, third degree burn. It, it cut right through. So the same as like a motorbike because of the amount of speed you're going, that ice turns to heat very quickly uh, and it can burn right through. Uh, it's, yeah, the speed, the challenge of it. A lot of people don't understand what goes behind uh, the sport itself. There's a lot of prep that goes in for just say 60 seconds and that's from uh, checking the sled over each day. I'm doing like a maintenance check like the MOT with the car pretty much before and after uh, to make sure everything's safe uh, because safety is a big, a really big factor. Um, and we're talking preparation for the runners to get yourself faster, you have to polish them down. Uh, when you're doing four-man drills, loading, you want to get that four-man team as sufficient and uh, efficiently in the sled as possible. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of preparation into getting yourself there actually on the ice before you even start start going. So let me ask you a funny thing then. So you're the you're obviously a pilot. You've seen yeah. cool runnings. You've never been in the bathtub practicing then. Never been in the bathtub. I, maybe as a joke, like but never <laughs> never properly you know. uh, you, you do mind maps and mind runs. Uh, we'll do a track walk every day before we slide. Uh, and going through that you have your track notes to look at and you'll run that through your head. So I'll visualize which is a key part of being a pilot is visualizing the track, your steers, how much you want to put in, 
you know, for each corner where you are. And you only build that up over time. Um, yeah, I can relate it to when I first uh, jumped out of a plane doing uh, some parachute training. The first time I jumped out of the, the plane, I sort of black out a little bit. You, you're not as aware. And after each jump, each run, you pick up more. You, your peripherals open, you see more, things start to slow down. And you can make those adjustments with those fears that you become familiar with. So. My penultimate question to you before before we wrap up the episode is, if you had an opportunity to sit down with any athlete dead or alive, who would that be and why? Oh, I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> um, I'm, think, I'm, I'm thinking it's an unconventional one then. Yeah, it is a little bit. A little bit. Uh, uh, Alan Shearer, like, he was one of my favourite uh, sportsmen when I was younger. Like, uh, followed him uh, for his time at of Newcastle and just like the way he dominated the sport uh, as a goal scorer in and around the box using his power strength uh, and he wasn't one of the, the biggest guys, guys around but he, it's something that I probably like I've always been a fighter to you know starting from small age uh, to to challenge those bigger guys to do better and, uh, and surprise them a bit of an underdog sort of thing but yeah definitely yeah Alan Shearer is a and my, final... <laughs> and my final question too before we wrap up the episode then is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about into some yeah i can't speak that. i think i got, I got an outtake if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about into one sentence to take for people to take away what would that be It's uh, when you're challenged with with problems, with issues. There's always a way to overcome uh, and adapt to, to to what you want to be or to your goal. You know, if you work hard enough uh, over time, it is possible. You know. So once again, John, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Cheers, thanks, Jay. It's my pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it. Anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below. And I would love to hear from you. Come and connect and ask your questions. I've been James Roberts from jamesowenroberts.com. Remember this quote by Chris Hearth. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think and execute, not by some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete.